1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, if you have your copy of God's Word today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as we consider the entire reason that we are put on this earth, which is to give glory to God and to share that salvation comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Everything that God created is good in His creation. But the fall, sin, has tainted and distorted that creation. You and I have the image of God on our hearts and on our lives, but it is a tainted image. And the only way that we can find true life, to live forever, the very reason for which we were created is to trust in Jesus. And the question is, what do we do after death? First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to try to read this in ESV, but my King James memorization quotation is going to interfere with that. So just bear with us. Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then we also believe that those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive shall not go before them who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I don't know about you, but I love a good Rocky movie. Except for number five. One was good. Two was better. Three was okay. Four was the best because Rocky single-handedly defeated communism. And then it kind of went downhill from there. But if you'll read back behind the scenes of the story of Sylvester Stallone writing that script in his 20s and then continuing that series, how much work went into it on his behalf and how many returns he briefed. The last one that he made in 2016, was his most difficult to make. It was called Creed. And the reason was, just a couple of years before he made the movie, was his 36-year-old son named Sage died of a heart attack. He was quoted in People magazine. He said, it's very tough. It's very tough. It's a horrible situation, but time will hopefully heal, and you try to get through it. And when the movie was made in 2016, the last one, the New York Times featured an article on his role as an aging Rocky in this film. It was called Creed. And it said it was his most difficult film to make because he was still paralyzed by the devastation of losing his son. And this is what he said. Listen to this. Sylvester Stallone. He said, you just feel responsible that you weren't there. Here you save all these fictitious people and you can't even save your son. We don't know what to do with death. There's all kinds of self-help material about there about how to prolong it, how to try to avoid it, how to cryogenically freeze yourself so that hopefully you won't have to face it one day. But the reality is, unless the Lord comes, we all face death. And it is shocking to us. But have you ever thought that it's not really shocking to those who are waiting for us? 
In fact, Charles Spurgeon, in his message, Why the Heavenly Robes Are White, put it this way. Listen to this. Sudden glory does not startle the inhabitants of heaven as sudden death startles the dwellers upon earth. The immigrants in heaven are expected, and the gates always stand open to welcome them. There are no untimely births into the church of the firstborn. Each one comes in his season. Paul will write later in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump when Jesus comes back. But until that happens, and should he tarry, you and I will constantly have to deal with the reality of death. Somebody said, as you get older, the population shifts on you. You have more and more friends on the other side. The apostle isn't telling us to grieve Grieve can be godly. Instead, he's telling us, don't grieve as those who have no hope. To grieve with a godly hope. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant brothers, ignorant sisters. Don't be uninformed. He tells us sorrow in a godly way. Grieve with godly sorrow. Not as those who don't have hope. I'll never forget being in the funeral home in Candleton, Indiana. I was pastoring Hallsville Baptist Church in Crossroads, Tell City in Indiana, going both sides of the river in Kentucky and Indiana, would often get asked, as I have throughout my ministry, to preach funerals for people I don't know. The funeral home will just call, and at that last-minute moment, you get a chance to preach to somebody, got that call on that day. It was a man who had overdosed on drugs in his late 30s, early 40s. I walk into the funeral home. It's this crowd of people that you wouldn't expect to see in church, not being judgmental at all, just describing the crowd. And when I walked in, the father was over in the corner. He said, young man, I'd like to talk to you. He sits me down. He doesn't give me a set of instructions or a set about his boy's life. He said, don't you preach my boy into heaven. He said, you give them the word. And I said, yes, sir, that's what I'll do. I remember walking into that room. They had cremated him, so the only thing that was left was the urn, and they had the urn seated literally on the floor. There wasn't a table or anything. It was just in the front of the room, this urn. And I remember preaching to that room, and as I was preaching, there was sobbing breaking out because of the sorrow. And as they lined up at the close of the service to come forward and greet the family, the mother of that young man sprawled herself on the ground and grabbed at those ashes in the urn because she had no hope. Do you have hope? I contrast that just a few years ago. I didn't tell her I would do this, but I contrast that with Darlene Brown when her husband, Bill, who was a member here for a long time, went to be with the Lord, had the privilege of preaching that service, and at the funeral, as they're all gathered around together with her kids and her grandkids, she looks them in the eye and she says, you kids and you grandkids need to make sure you're right with the Lord so you can meet him again one day. She had hope. The Bible says God will bring with him. Even we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So the question is asked, are these people still in the graves? Are they really resting in peace? Well, the Bible says no. Because remember, to be 
absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So even though our body may be in the ground, our soul and our spirit is with Christ. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. Some people say, I'm so sorry for your loss, and I understand what they mean, but do you really lose something if you know where it went and if you know where it's at? Our loss isn't really a loss. It's merely a displacement in the temporal of what is the eternal. It is a reuniting of body and soul. That's what happens on that day when we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And can I just say this to you? I never say it in the moment because it's too insensitive, but can I just say this to the church right now? God didn't need another angel. (laughs) He's got plenty of them. What he's doing is reclaiming you with his angels. Once you were destined to eternal death, and now God has given you eternal life. And on that great day, he reunites your body with your soul, but it's not the body with the aches and the pains. It is a resurrected body that will dwell with him forever. And so he says, even though we grieve, we grieve with a godly hope. Then he tells us something else. Not only do we grieve, but we have to glory, and we glory in the blessed hope. That is, the glorious appearing and the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Brother Ray told me a couple of times, he said, you're the only preacher I know that's preached through 1 Thessalonians and hasn't yet gotten to the second coming. Well, I'm getting to it today, Brother Ray. It's mentioned 300 times in the New Testament. Have you noticed a pattern throughout Thessalonians to wait for the coming of the Lord? to hope in the coming of the Lord. And this is what he says, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, it isn't just from anyone, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Why? Because the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise Now, in Bible times, trumpets are used as pronouncements. It's when the walls of Jericho came down. It's when the Romans decided to have a parade. You have this shout taking place. It is a word, Jesus himself, the incarnate word, having the last word. Just as he says to Lazarus, come forth. By the way, he has to put Lazarus' name in that phrase because if he says, come forth, Everyone would have come out of that grave. Just as he says, Lazarus, come forth, he shouts a word to his church, and there is a sound. We don't know exactly what that sound will be like, but on March 24th, 1991, one of the largest and oldest redwoods in California came crashing to the ground. They called it the Dyerville Giant. Listen to this. It was 360 feet tall which is the height of a 30-story building. Its diameter was 17 feet, circumference of 52 feet. Its weight at 1 million pounds, its age at 2,000 years. And when a tree hit the ground, that tree, a person living a mile away, said it sounded like a train wreck. Vibrations were felt 10 miles away. 
I don't know what the sound of the Lord will be like, but I know if he can do that with one tree, it will be an unmistakable sound, one that you have never heard before. He says, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So either you will be caught up with Christ or raised up with Christ, and either way, you win. Jesus will say through the angels at the end of the ascension, this same Jesus will come again in like manner as you have seen him go. And in the meantime, men of Galilee, we got a job to do. What is our job? Why is Jesus tarrying? There's only one reason why he's tarrying. It's so that more people will hear about Jesus. Eight billion people in the world today, 3.2 million, don't even know his name. Don't even know who he is. And we've got more means to reach them than we have ever had. That's the reason why Jesus tarries. I don't have a death wish most days. But I do sometimes think, man, wouldn't it be okay if the Lord were to call me home? Or if the Lord were to come back. Lord, won't you come back on this day? Won't you put me out of this? Some of you probably think this on a test you got to take, an interview you got to give, or a job you don't want to do. You say, Lord, just come on back. It would make it easier. But then I think of all those people that I know who do not know Jesus. And I say, Lord, just hold off. Just wait. Give us time. This same Jesus will come again in like manner as you have seen him go. You saw him go up, and one day, just as he came up, he's going to come right down. And in the meantime, he tells us we have to give gospel hope. So much of Scripture is simply about giving hope. Isaiah 40, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Here in Thessalonians, Paul begins the letter with a word of hope, and now he ends it with a word of hope. Remember, they had lost their friends and their loved ones. They had wondered they thought they had done something wrong. They thought that Jesus was coming back right away during their lifetime. And Paul seems to give that indication too. He seems to think the Lord is coming back in his lifetime. And so they're wondering, what's up? <laughs> People are dying. There's still sin. It's the saints gathered around the throne crying out, how long, how long, O Lord, how long? And it reminds us that our hope is not in our bodies. It's not in other people. It's in the resurrection of Jesus. Everything that we have hinges on the resurrection. Think about it. Everything you do depends on the resurrection. One writer put it this way. Every departing missionary, like we heard today, is an act of faith in the resurrection. Every peace treaty is an act of faith in the resurrection. Every agreed commitment is an act of faith in the resurrection. When you forgive your enemy, when you feed the hungry, when you defend the weak... You believe in the resurrection. When you have the courage to marry, when you welcome the newly born child, when you build your home, you believe in the resurrection. When you wake at peace in the morning, when you sing to the rising sun, when you go to work with joy, you believe in the resurrection. I remember she wouldn't let go of my hand. She almost squeezed it off. I'd gone just a couple of days earlier with her husband out on visitation. He had been having some heart issues. He's a soul winner. His name was, was Dave Strouser. He loved the Lord. He loved to bring people to church and tell people about Jesus. I mean, he'd tell everyone. And I got the call during the middle of Christmas, 
that he had had a massive heart attack and was in the ER. And so I rushed there, got there with the family. They sent me right in, his dear wife, sitting there in the ER, waiting for them, trying to revive him. And she just gripped my hand. And so we prayed. And I said, you know, he's, he's with the Lord either way, right? And she said, yes, I know. Had his service to hope in the resurrection. Everything depends on the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees in Jesus' day didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why there's so much written about it. Paul will devote a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 just to prove that the resurrection of the dead is critical. In fact, this is what he says. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He says, if Christ is not raised, our preaching is vain. Your faith is vain. If Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sin. And then he talks about what about those who have fallen asleep in Christ? He says, they also have perished, if this is true. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most miserable. So many people think this life is all there is. What a sad reason for existing. He says, if Christ is not raised, eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow you die. He will say, as by one man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans 5 says, for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Because where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. The Bible says he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Isn't this the promise that he made from the very beginning that he would crush the serpent's head and that last enemy to be destroyed is death because death reigned from Adam to Moses but where sin abounded. Grace did much more abound. Paul will say this is our spiritual state that we in fact die daily if the dead are not raised. Eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. See, the ancient world tried to separate the body and the soul but Paul said, no, no, they are inextricably linked because you're a future-oriented people. And the legend has it that in many of the ancient cities, there was a statue of Caesar with his family in the middle of town. And yet Paul doesn't talk about the coming of Caesar. He talks about the coming of Christ. Already, not yet. And I love the tombstone that has the word on it, just one. It says, waiting. That's what we're doing. So in the meantime, we don't know everything that's going to happen, but we do know this. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand the latter day upon the earth. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and when this mortal shall have put 
put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Death may get our bodies. It will not get our souls. Death may take this life, but we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. And death may have a word, but Jesus has the last word. And we rule and we reign with him. Father, help us as we continue your mission of bringing in and raising up and sending out those who are all in for Christ to remember that in a valley of the shadow of death, we have life. In a culture that is consumed with death and the uncertainty it brings, May we be able to say to a watching world that for believers, death is not the end, but a departure to an everlasting reality with you. Father, I pray that you would impress upon us today for those of us who are grieving over the loss of a loved one. Well, we know there's a sense in which we never fully get over with that. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to experience loss. But help us to not sorrow as those who have no hope. Help us to share that hope with you of Jesus. Lord, for someone here who is fearing death, Lord, as much as we want to take care of ourselves physically, our bodies or your temples, as much as we want to, to live to those who you've given for us, Lord, we know that medicine can be a good thing. We also trust that Jesus Christ will care for his own and he never forgets a one. Today, Lord, help us to take that message of your death and your resurrection. And may we believe the promise that any man who believes in you, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in you will never die. Lord, we pray for that to be true. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.